Is this seat taken? It is now. My name is Annabelle Bransford. What do they call you? I'm Brett Maverick, ma'am, and I'm pleased to meet you. I like the game the way it is. Well, now, I bring all sorts of pluses to the table. I hardly ever bluff, and I never, ever cheat. I don't believe it. <laughs> Neither do I. I like the game just the way it is. What good is an empty chair? Indeed. Now, I'll bet I can change your mind. I promise that I will lose for at least an hour. I like that. Sounds good to me. That kind of player. We're playing five-card draw. Please sit down. As I said, my name is Mrs. Annabelle Bransford. Well, I think I caught that before, man. Except for Mrs. Pipe. Any of it, The Scotch on the Rocks. Please, any Scotch will do. As long as it's not a blend, of course, uh, a single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe Glengow, any Glen. I'm drums on! I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini. Shake and not stir. All right, gentlemen. Um, the internet demands it. Um... More Mel Gibson talk. I think that's. I think that's what film Twitter wants. Is <laughs> for Mel Gibson going back to his glory days. You know, uh, I just did like a cursory search today, and I saw someone tweet like, "Can someone please just cancel Mel Gibson for good?" And the first response underneath it, uh, I guess I'm no better than the rest of them uh, on Twitter, was, "What's he done now?" <laughs> but I think it was like, "What's <laughs> Mel done now?" Which prompted the same reaction you guys just had, where I'm like. <laughs> And I don't know, what, I don't know what, you know, if he said some horrible shit or if he's gone on a bender again or what have you. Um, but then I look it up and he's he's not done anything. He was like, he's casting a movie about like a Jewish family, and they're like, well, you know what he thinks about that, don't you? And I'm like, all right. So now we're now we're getting into a fictional character that he's playing that someone has paid him. I mean, like you're you're the guy. We, well, that's a long way way of saying we are far off from the Maverick days when uh, presumably I guess everybody loved him. Mm. Yep, Josh. Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get on to Jared like dance monkey dance. Tom, like you know, all right, Jared, what do you think of those boobies in this movie? Or Jared, <laughs> say something silly now. And Jared, you know as well as I do. I I open up with that. Now, who mm-hmm. whose balls that? Whose shot is that right there to take? That's uh, Rain Man, Rainmaker <laughs> over here. Rain Miss the Rain Man, Miss Rainmaker. The... <laughs> The uh, I can't remember. Was it uh that Ben Stiller movie? Oh, you're from... going to the Philip Seymour Hoffman reference. Okay, yeah, nice. Yeah, All yeah, right. yeah. You got me back on track. Yeah, you're just saying he's just he's not. But see, he's not he, breaking he them. He, he's not <laughs> taking the shot here. Josh, you love Mel Gibson. I hope you have a lot of uh, you know, I love Mel uh, quotes that we can pull out when we get into Maverick. But that was just my setup for you know. At one time, okay. he was uh, all right. He I was, was trying to resist. I was trying to resist. But if you wanna. If you want to bring fire and brimstone down on our podcast, I guess we can. Look, but, we need uh, a audience, any audience, really. So even uh, an angry, hateful one, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Patreon.com, yeah, give us money. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you know. So first off, even you know pre uh, drama, I was a huge Mel Gibson fan amongst 
probably the the thousands of other people that were as well. But uh, I can certainly understand why there was, you know, outrage and why people were upset with him and why he was in uh, (laughs) cinema and social jail, you know, over his actions. But I don't know, man. It's like there's a lot of bad people in Hollywood, and it seems like a lot of them get second, third, fourth chances. They get no, no, nobody takes anything seriously. And for whatever reason, they landed on like, no, Mel Gibson is permanently, uh, no, no, no forgiveness there. No, no, letting him try to redeem himself. Well, he whatsoever. said he said some uh, racist things. You know, he, he definitely uh, said some things about uh, you know the Jewish faith. Uh, it's, I think it's an uncomfortable conversation now. Uh, and maybe that's where a little, my spike comes in, uh, was that clearly this was a man, uh, who's an alcoholic, you know, all, mm-hmm. all of his outbursts and stuff. I mean, he, he has a serious problem and, uh, that's not to say that, that maybe he, what he said he meant or not, but, uh, you know, there's definitely no sympathy there. I mean, you know, Iron Man was uh, crawling into people's bedrooms and coked out of his mind, taking a <laughs> taking a <laughs> yeah. little nap time in there. And uh, you know he's a beloved man. And uh, I, well, I didn't even mean mean to someone that, but he's also uh, just I guess coincidentally a good friend, Mel Gibson, who uh, I guess you know stuck by his side during his problems. And I, I, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. has caught some flack for uh, you know supporting Mel Gibson now. It, it was just weird, uh, just sort of you know for our uh, premise of our podcast because uh, we're going back to May. Uh, 20th through the 22nd opening weekend in 1994. So 25 years ago, man, are we old? Um, and you know, it's just something that if you remove all that, uh, I don't really know what the entry point to Maverick would be. It opened to $17 million. Uh, the next closest film was the crow, uh, and it's second week released, uh, $10 million off. Um, I mean, Maverick was pretty much like the only uh, big release and it was sort of like back then the kickoff to the summer, summer movie, but um, I don't know about you two. I know I had seen this before, but I didn't have much in the way of memories about it. This is like, I don't want to say, hey, it's a forgotten film because it was really popular at the time. But uh, it's just kind of one of those, like, I don't know, 80s, 90s movies where it was just like, there wasn't like a, it definitely wasn't like Endgame where it's like they're swinging for the fences like all time. It was like, this is meant to entertain you for two hours. And I don't think it was ever meant to be like, a classic that you rewatch years down the road. Uh, I think that's a little bit of the charm we're missing nowadays with everything being a, a, a swing for the fences, which I mean, that's, I'm not going to complain about people trying to make big, you know, thrilling movies, but, but you'll complain about also, it if they try it every weekend, because then it's, well, <laughs> it, it's, it can be overload. I mean, there is something to be said about a movie being a little bit smaller and a little bit more quaint. It, it can still be, you know, star studded and you know entertaining and whether it be an you know an action movie full of explosions or a comedy full of laughs it 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 can still be any of those things but um and i I really feel like the 90s we had a lot of that you know because i was just thinking the other day you know like movies like uh the rock or um hey now face off bad example the rock that is a criterion collection an official selection <laughs> or at least <laughs> it was at one point there was a dvd criterion no, collection of the no, rock. It, I, well i mean i love those movies well, damn well, but it should be yes th- there's not those would not be considered summer blockbusters they might not even be made I think know, the, yeah i think today. you're uh Jared, this is one I know you and I, we did a podcast on uh, the Rock movie Rampage, which I'm not saying that compares to uh, uh, The Rock, the film. Uh, 
but I think that's where what Josh is saying those type of action movies would kind of fall into that territory where it's like, oh, there's a big action movie starring like a big uh, muscle bound freak, but it's not really. <laughs> You know, it's not tied to a cinematic universe per se, and there's not like a, a saga you're following. It's just a, it's just sort of a throwback. Like, let's see Dwayne Johnson uh, jump uh, over a skyscraper or jump into That's a giant it. lizard. Right? Skyscraper was actually a name of it. Wasn't that like a movie that he made? I actually watched that recently. I mean, it's his version of Die Hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yet again, uh, just like Rampage is no The Rock, uh, skyscraper yeah. is not. Uh, Die Hard, but I will agree with Josh when I watched it. Uh, I guess this is kind of proving the point of Hollywood. <laughs> I watched Skyscraper like on uh, DVD or something from the library. Like I just rent, like I didn't go out of my way to see it because it didn't like cry out like, "Hey, you need to watch this." Um, but I think Maverick probably when I was a kid was also the same way. I was like, "Yeah, that looks kind of fun," but I don't think I was like you know really like begging mom and dad to make me uh, please take me see Maverick. I don't know. Maybe you guys have more of a history with it than uh, than I do. I think, well, not so much the movie itself, but I think maybe 80s and maybe especially the 90s. Maybe I'm just saying that because, you know, we were really in our, you know, childhood through the 90s. But uh, I, I feel like a lot of those movies earned their enthusiasm by the star power that was in it. Like, I think Maverick probably had some excitement because it was like the... the New Mel Gibson movie. Not you know that what I mean? was, like, uh, oh, they're finally doing that TV series. Like, I wonder right, if they'll be right. faithful to it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's got Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster cool. in it. Oh, cool. You know, that that'd probably be a good movie. You know? It's Richard Donner is the director, so he's teaming up with his uh, Lethal Weapon filmmaker. Uh, there's a few kind of, kind of awkward nods to Lethal Weapon, which kind of reminds you just how big that was at the time. Because, like, watching <laughs> it now, it's like, oh, that, that's kind of a weird joke in this Western that... You know, Danny Glover shows up and does his, I'm too getting too old for this shit in a Western, but, um, I don't oh, Okay. We're kind of, uh, talking around it, but you know, Jared, did you, uh, did you actually enjoy this watching it now in 2019? Yeah, I enjoyed it pretty, uh, pretty well. I'd, uh, my memory of it was, this is like one of those like TNT or USA movies years later and just kind of watching it with my granddad. Cause he, has consumed like every Western on the face of the earth. But he, uh, I remember watching it with him. It's not really like, as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little bit, uh, more towards the, <laughs> the softer side of, uh, Westerns, the comedies and such. I remember I tried to watch Unforgiven with him and he had turn it off that language. <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> so I guess Maverick, uh, this film would probably sit in that wheelhouse. Cause there's, for as much like uh, fighting and some gunplay, I, I mean, it's actually like playing with guns, not like even when Maverick like shoots at people, it's usually him like shooting guns out of their hands. I mean, there are, I think you could probably count the actual deaths maybe on one, two hands at most for the entirety of the film. Well, I mean, let's not overlook that this is like a, a Western still aimed towards, I would say adults. And it's PG rated mm-hmm. and it's still a good time and and entertaining. So uh, it certainly weighs more on the fun side and lot heartedness more so than trying to be heavy or gritty by any means. I had forgotten that uh, the way it's played here. I, I remember that Mel Gibson was, uh, you know, the main crux of the uh, the plot is him trying to gather money uh, to play in this big poker tournament. That's going to be the big, you know, finale of it. Uh, I had forgotten <laughs> how much he if he can tries to 
avoid combat <laughs> at any weight. Like, <laughs> you know, tries to not only talk himself out of a fight, but he's like paid off people multiple times to like play these parts uh, where it looks like they're against him. And he's really already like, you know, put the money under the table or they owe him a favor. So it gets him out of the frying pan and it looks like he's like going into the fire when really it's like he's retreating to safety for a moment. And then yeah, he kind of gets back yeah. on track. Uh, I did like a lot of that. I I don't know as much about this emphasis on, uh, and unfortunately it's sort of like pretty big for the poker tournament, this emphasis on like magic with him like, He's always going to be able to pull like the ace of spades, like when he needs it, like that sort of thing. And it was interesting that I, uh, I remembered like, I was like, why do I remember so much about this? Like magic thing, like being like controversial. So the screenwriter, William Goldman, who did, uh, uh, the princess bride, very famous. Uh, he wrote adventures in the screen trade, ba basically one of the first like sort of like tell alls about here's what life as a screenwriter is like, mm. uh, butch casting the Sundance kid. Uh, that was sort of his big thing with this was, um, he was sort of concerned. You make a like two hour long adventure where you're basically telling the audience it's going to take a while before we get to the big game. Like he's like, you know, if you're, if your guy is not a gunfighter in a Western, but he's like a con man and a gambler, how do you go through like basically the Rocky training exercises to build up to the big game? And he's like, you can't really have a movie where he's like, I guess rounder style, just sitting in like, dusty old bars and like grinding <laughs> out money you know just like right. all right i got another 200 to the good you know gotta, gotta stay up all night and try to try to eke it out again so he was like I, you know let's add an element of like sort of supernatural to it uh however his original version was that he told people that story but it was really a con that he really was a good cheat and that's mm -hmm. why he told that story because he didn't want to be known as a cheat and they just kind of slowly removed that out of it and made it more I guess mystical and heroic. And, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, I think it would have been, if this one had come out, you know, more recently or even something like Ocean's Eleven style, I think it would have been, they would have been fine with having him as sort of like a, the scamp, like the lovable scamp that really was yeah. like a con man, really was a cheat. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was, that was really what I was going to compare it to is that, you know, it was kind of Ocean's Eleven before Ocean's Eleven in terms of the, the top of, you know, kind of tricking the 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 character, not only the characters in the story, but the viewer. And like you were saying, like you're thinking he's in, he's in trouble, but no, he's actually got things taken care of. Uh, and it stems from I, paranoia. It stems from he knows yeah. I'm going to piss somebody off, so I need to have like a backup <laughs> to a backup plan, which is well, kind of a know, different part for a like mega superstar actor, where he's not he's not the fastest draw. He's just sort of like overly cautious you know and i'm not trying to speak in too broad of strokes but i kind of i kind of feel like as much as we love our action heroes there's there's something about us that really loves somebody who's smart about that type of thing i mean look at batman you know his superpower is basically like preparing for every possibility and outcome and you know knowing what his opponents are going to do and and to be fair josh I'm, he also then beats that ass <laughs> yeah 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 but it's usually as a result because he's thought everything through though uh but mel gibson's character he's no batman but there's still something to be said about like I know what my strengths and what my weaknesses are here, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to play to that, obviously. And yeah, there's just there's something really fun about a character who's four steps ahead of everybody else. Um, now, 
maybe you all know, or maybe you don't. I don't. I I'm not real familiar with the old Maverick TV show. I just know that James Garner, you know, was the original Maverick. Is that what they're playing up at the end of the movie? Is that James Garner is still playing that character of the original Maverick, and this is his son? You know what I thought? I'm like, back then, that was like, oh, isn't that nice? But now, it would be like, you damn well better. Or the Maverick super fans on their, like, message boards are going to go crazy for you. You know, it's like, if they don't, you know, like, there'd be no way he would just play, like, a cop or play, like, you know, the villain or someone who's not nice to Maverick. No, he is Maverick forever. And I think that shows probably how far fandoms come, where that it's that's played sort of as like, well, isn't that a nice twist? But yeah, even if they didn't do that, I think people who were fans of the series probably would just been happy with him just being in the movie. That would have been good enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it really matters too much either way. Uh, kind of, it is, you know, to that point, you know, you had uh, John Boyd playing Mr. Phillips in uh, Mission Impossible, who... <laughs> turns villain you know and he was the that main came hero out just about a year scene. after this right i think so yeah, a year or two. yeah 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 well there's john Voigt. you know there's you know we supported uh mel gibson so far on this podcast we can uh, talk about Voigt <laughs> as being a horrible uh republican asshole what a terrible guy that guy <laughs> he's a dirty dog josh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just want an excuse to play that clip right there <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> How do you feel about a woman? She's supposed to be my life partner. I look in the mirror the other day and I says to her, I says, honey, I look in the mirror and all I see is a fat, ugly old man. And I need you to give me a compliment. She says, all right, then uh, your eyesight is damn near perfect. I said, you dirty dog. <laughs> Dirty dog. A dirty dog. A well, dirty dog. <laughs> oh, all right. So, uh, speaking of being in, uh, you know, someone's wheelhouse, yeah. uh, and dirty dogs. Well, there's a, there's a, just a lot of dirtiness in this one coming up. Um, <laughs> so our, you know, film to open that weekend that uh, we're actually looking back on it, and this is, you know, it's kind of screwed me before, and it's uh, in a weird way screwed Jared uh, using Box Office Mojo as my reference point. Uh, with their uh, nifty yellow highlighter as far as what were the new releases. According to them, uh, there were only two releases, Maverick and our forgotten film, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, which uh, opened on, let's see, 533 screens compared to Maverick's 2,500. So it uh, only opened to $676,000. And all I knew about this one was it was some sort of colossal bomb. It was a critical disaster and it starred Uma Thurman, which negates uh, all the previous uh, criticisms of the film. For me, I was fine with checking it out. Um, Jared, that's probably a good point to key you in here as a stat boy. <laughs> it does it, does my memory serve me well? Because I've not uh, yet. What were the Rotten Tomato scores for uh, these two films? Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll go first with. Sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, you start with Maverick, because I, 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 I think I know where the other one's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maverick had a 66% from the critics, 71% from the audience, pretty well received. Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, 19% from the critics, 27% yep. from the audience. Oh, <laughs> that, now that surprises it's me. It's telling. Yeah, that's, well, it's weird that the critics... Uh, or even harsher than a pretty harsh audience score there. 
I, I I didn't know a single thing about the plot, and I've seen this movie. I watched it last night, and I still don't. <laughs> yes, I. Okay, like let me explain it to people because my wife walked in halfway through. Oh, you talk about trying to. I'm trying to remember if she walked in when Uma Thurman was trying to rub one out with her giant fucking thumbs on the side of the road. Uh, knowing my life. <laughs> knowing my life and my Why wife, watching? Uh, she would have seen that. And then knowing me, wouldn't have even commented like, well, I know he does those, such things. Uma Thurman, okay. <laughs> Just don't embarrass him. <laughs> he, he won't be bothering me tonight. <laughs> Just let him have it. <laughs> Let the boy watch. <laughs> Let um, the boy watch. So with that image in mind, dear listeners, if you also have never seen this, like presumably all three of your uh, lovable hosts had not, uh, it plays very much like Tim Burton's Big Fish. If you don't have the Billy Crudup character as the son calling his dad a lying asshole. For, you know, an hour 40 of a two hour runtime, you know, until, until, you know, he comes around, you know, he's nice, the old man, and he buys into the, the myth making and the fantasy. I could never get my bearings because we're being told the story of this young girl who was born with these like abnormal hands and in particular thumbs that l- look ridiculous. Um, I don't think that's on the, uh, Brody's very unhappy. <laughs> I don't think that's on the cover art either. I think it's just Uma Thurman hitching. With normal it's hands, just hitching with normal normal thumbs, like it's not. Look, you're right. Well, okay, okay, Josh, I'm glad you're kind of questioning it because I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, when they did that to the little girl, I'm like, oh, okay, so she was like when she was a kid. Jared, Josh, you both know I had like really big feet when I was a little kid. I basically had the feet I had now when I was a little kid, and it's like I clown couldn't shoes, find shoes. We called you clown shoes, and I couldn't find like my mother t- taking me shoe shopping, couldn't find shoes that would fit like a skinny eleven year old. Andre the Giant. <laughs> remember going with you and your mom was like putting you in like boots yeah. trying to find something that would fit. You uh, were like stomping around the store like dangos. Walk the walk of a kangaroo. Well, I, I still couldn't do that accent, but uh, yeah, they were pretty hideous shoes because uh, I remember her once saying thank God for Shaquille O'Neal that he came along because they started actually making like sneakers that were meant for uh, big feet. Now, if you were to see me now, you know, not so much, right? I thought that was how this movie was going. I'm like, oh, okay, so she was when she was a girl, that's what the kids made fun of her for. Like, for whatever reason, her hands fucking grew way before she did. But then she, she becomes Uma Thurman. I've watched Kill Bill enough times, Pulp Fiction. The, the woman's got, I would say, above average size hands and feet. I mean, Tarantino has definitely emphasized the, the feet aspect in Kill Bill. <laughs> and Pulp Fiction, for that matter. Um, so I was a bit put off when we actually went into like big fish fantasy territory with her fucking hands. And it's, it's extremely distracting. It's kind of obscene in a weird way. Like it's, I don't know. And they, they really like focus on those thumbs when she's hitching and it's, it's a big fish story with no one saying, uh, that's not real because it is real. So everything that happens as crazy as it is, there's one sequence I don't know how we get there, and I'm as I said, I watched this last night where a bunch of cowgirls uh, threaten these people who own these uh, <laughs> these exotic birds <laughs> <laughs> with their unwashed vaginas, and are like coming at them. <laughs> you know, if Maverick had a lot of gunplay, there they have just dropping trout, and they're just like marching terrorists, <laughs> talking about how much their uh, you know lady bits smell. 
And I actually took a couple screenshots. I'm like, do I put this on Sober Cinema's Instagram or would this get us banned? I was like, I think that we would get banned if I, even I if I take. Yeah, it'd probably just be in support of Alyssa Milano's sex truck right now. I mean, it would probably just fit, fit well, the thing. Well, you know, what my wife says is just get your husband a movie worth of one term and having gigantic thumbs. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> it's covered. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it's just a, uh, it's a very strange movie about a woman who kind of just gets into meets a lot of crazy people. Like she's it's Pee Wee's big adventure with less uh, narrative structure was less, <laughs> with less of a quest and just sort of idling about. Uh, and John Hurt was the, uh, you know, uh, the, I don't, I don't know what he's going for. He, he, he looks like a David Lynch character as far as he's got like the powder <laughs> white <laughs> face paint yeah. and then the Caesar yeah. gladiator haircut from with Russell Crowe. But, uh, I don't know. He's at one point the uh, ally and the villain in this crazy movie, and uh, I didn't care almost, for it. Almost killed by a slap to the face. Well, I mean, it, it hurt his feelings really bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> that was the internal agony. Jared, this one was picked, uh, I would say for you, but as I uh, sort of launched into, it was actually the only other release that week of Maverick, so this was the only option, but at least we have cowboys and cowgirls, so... Uh, I know you. You're a, you're an indie film fan. This is one you liked more. <laughs> Josh and I were actually lamenting, like, "Oh God, why didn't we choose Phantom Menace? Jesus Christ, why didn't?" That, we yeah, it was a completely Phantom different uh, weekend five years after the fact. But uh, I was just like, "Ah, Star Wars. Do we have anything else to say after fanboys? We're good, right?" And uh, both of you were kind of in agreement, like, "Yeah, it makes sense." Well, you know, I, we all had fond memories of one. Maybe not fond, but, you know, uh-huh. decent, warm memories of Maverick. And yeah. uh, I, th- I said to myself, like, even cowgirls get the blues. Can't be that bad. Like I remember hearing be. about it plenty. It's got it Uma Thurman. Like a movie that, yeah, it it's, seemed like uh, one of those like, movies maybe had just slipped past me. But maybe Uma, it was a pretty decent movie. <laughs> Uma Thurman, Gus Van Zandt. I mean, I, I'm seeing the positives here. And it's like opening the door on a horror show. Like, I, I hate, loathe can't stand this thing you said in a text thread this may be the worst thing we've ever watched which i don't know if i agree with because as i said uma thurman rubbing one out uh, as weird as it is um it's i i would still posit jared uh, reunion is the worst thing we've done Mm. yeah i guess so no i disagree josh it's just you're a dirty liar this seems no this I swear dog. to God, if this was yeah, you dirty dog, exactly. Play the clip. Uh, if if this you know lynch it up a little bit, and this would be something you'd be trying to get me and Jared to watch. In fact, if I had not been the one making Jared watch it, and you discovered it first, you would be trying to get Jared to watch it, and you'd be laughing mm-hmm. about it. it you would you would weaponize it. <laughs> well, as in like just being painful to watch, sure. But if you're talking about it being in that weird Bob. It does not tickle my fancy in that way whatsoever. Like, to me, it is... I'm going to find some is, things on here. List them all. I'm going to list up some plot points and be like, does that work for it's, you? Does that work? It's, <laughs> you know, it's like it's... I mean, I know these movies came later, but it's kind of like it's wanting to be uh, like an inherent vice or a, what was it called? Under the Silver Lake or Silver Pond, whatever it was called, uh, that came out this year. <laughs> it actually just uh, ended up making its way to America like two weeks ago. Right, right. Which shows how that uh, will be a forgotten film in the future of this podcast oh, continues because be. 
uh, I think me and Josh and a few other of the filmmakers' friends were the only ones to watch <laughs> get excited <laughs> for that one. But these are movies that are that are, and of course, yes, sure, throwing some David Lynch there. Of course, David Lynch is pretty well received, but those films, you know, they're they're strange, they're they're quirky, they're they're even on the silly side, but they they still have a sense of like <laughs> either making stuff their moments funny or making them truly intriguing. And even if the uh, storyline is, uh, I don't know the right way of putting it. It may not be linear or real easy to follow, but there's still substance to it. Whereas with this movie is just like, it, it's like a poser. It's like somebody trying to be that. Like, mm. look at how edgy I'm going to be. I'm going, you know, I'm going to have them uh, hypnotizing chickens. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of yeah. bird play in this because I, I yeah, the just... uh, Wikipedia entry. If it, you know, I'll just save the listeners the trouble if they give a shit. But here's what it says: the main plot revolves around the cowgirls who work at the ranch after they violently take over and drug the endangered whooping cranes who nest along the lake on their land, making the once migratory birds stay. The cowgirls end up in a showdown with government agencies because the cranes won't leave the ranch, and the cowgirls refuse to allow the men on the ranch to take the cranes. Yep. Yeah. There's some weird sex shit around that too, if that does anything for you. It somehow there, uh Uma Thurman like a, ends up in a attempted threesome, like her first night in New York encounter Reeves and Brownface like a... as, as, as a Native American man with asthma. I, there's a lot coming at you about in the first, I don't know, I'd say ten minutes. So when it actually gets to the uh the whooping crane heist I didn't realize. I thought that was going to be like one little ten minute interlude. I didn't know that was going to become the focal point of the rest of the film. That's where I would say the film needs to be weirder. It needs to just do have like one ten minute weird thing happen, then you move on to the next town. Yeah, and you know, even in those other movies that I listed earlier, the weirdness still serves a purpose. It's not just there to just be weird. I mean, sometimes it may seem like it, but this movie is just there's there's nothing coherent about it. There, there, there's nothing that's like leading you to the next moment of <laughs> why wow, these characters, I mean, there, there's a shell of a story, but it's a really, really lame and empty one. It, it has no, no depth to it whatsoever, but uh, so it needs I, I, a story or it needs some comedy. One or the other, you got to, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do something with it. Uh, uh, Funnier than banana something. fingers. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, after a certain point, it's like uh, it, it's it's that whole like I was talking today in the, the text thread that whole Jack Kerouac counterculture fucking beatnik hippie horseshit. I can't stand. Like just uh, I can't. That's all it is. Well, I'm I'm kind of at a loss because you know it's based on a novel. Uh, Nineteen seventy six. Bestseller, Tom too. Robbins. Yeah. yeah, Tom Ro- Robbins. And he's had uh, quite a few books, and apparently there was a lot of talent trying to get into this movie, which makes me think that the book must have been revered quite a Wasn't, bit. Wasn't uh, uh, Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster yeah. was trying to go for the the lead role, which <laughs> lucky for her, she had went to, with Maverick. Yeah, she had to settle for that. Got one. Maverick. <laughs> yeah. So, I you know I don't know if there's that big of a difference between the book and the movie, or if people were just taking their stupid pills back then. I, I, I don't know, but uh, I, I mean, obviously the movie didn't get a good reaction. So that's, that's good. You know, we can at least say that, you know, humanity hadn't lost all hope at that, 
at, at that <laughs> point. But uh, yeah, I just I I feel like it was certainly um, just one of those things where you know, like I said, Tom Robbins wrote the book, and it looks like Gus Van Sant wrote the the screenplay. It, Gus it, did it, like everything: executive producer, director, screenplay. I think he's got like four or five different credits on this one. So I, I don't know how true he was to the book, or how much he, you know, twisted stuff to his own liking. But it, it just plays as one of those things that thinks it's way smarter and way cooler than what it is, and it's it's. Well, you you brought it empty. up, Josh. Uh, Jared, I don't know if you've seen Inherent Vice. No, I've not seen well, that. Well, now we're not going to be able to get you to watch it because uh, you know it's going to come up in the subject matter. But that's uh, also uh, a book about the, you know the counterculture that Ugh. kind of a hippie environment almost. Well, uh, well, see, Jared's already doing that, but I, I, I recommend if you have to, if you're like you know, don't believe me and Josh because I think me and Josh both love that movie. Hiro uh, mm-hmm. did not say so, you know <laughs> you can't trust him. He's a traitor to his country. Um, (laughs) i think at the very least you would have unlike this film you would have a character that's sort of outside of that world and that's personified by this crew cut cop played by josh brolin who hates hippies (laughs) that is the antagonist uh and sometimes like uh benevolent friend of the Joaquin Phoenix character, but you can never tell which scene if he's going to be nice to him or be, physically assault him. So I think <laughs> I think you would at least have something to hang your hat on. Um, this one, you know, even if you have these two like sort of warring factions over these stupid fucking birds, they're you know I don't think either side is supposed to be represent any sort of like average person. Like nobody you would you know like I said going back to Big Fish, you have the son character who's like. Those stories are nonsensical, Dad. Like, he tries to punch holes in them. This, no, you're just dealing with freaks pretty much the entirety of the runtime. Maybe some poor cops that are just, like, standing around firing their guns or... Well, that that's what I was just thinking. Like, with this movie, you have... Uh, I, I guess the cowgirls are supposed to be, like, a, a wave of feminism, I guess. A certain type of feminism. Because that's the whole reason why they're, you know... They're kind of being jerks about the birds. You know, they they... <laughs> fed them certain foods and then eventually peyote to keep them there instead of migrating. They drugged them, and, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for, the, for the known fact that they were endangered species so everybody's like concerned about it and when like the official people were like, oh, can we get on this property and see what's going with the birds? They're like, no. <laughs> Private property. We'll shoot you. Uh, I'm thinking like these cops are like, <laughs> and of course they bring in like the uh I was going to say army, but whatever the the reserve, national, uh, but uh, national guard, whatever. That they have them out there, and it's like <laughs> you got. They're like, you know, we're just here because a bunch of crazy cowgirls are out here wielding guns. Like we don't really have a. <laughs> I don't think they really have a stake in this ideology or, <laughs> and or anything. Neither do we. On. The fact that this right. only got a wide right. release, I'm like, I, see, I didn't know what time period the book came out, but it came out in the mid '70s. So I'm like, okay, I. Yes, I kind of see it, but you know that, that's why I brought up Inherent Vice, which I think is a more modern novel, but it's about that time period. Right, yeah. And there's just an inherent silliness that you're asking moviegoers to buy into. That we, you know, and I think it's something Jared, you lament an awful lot too. I, I know, I know there are certain triggers with you with certain characters in movies. If it's the main character and they're lamenting something that is far removed from like a blue collar existence. That's about the quickest way to get Jared to start cussing on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> and decide against them, which is why he would be crew cut Josh Brolin assaulting walking. <laughs> <Phoenix. laughs> 
I say you've intrigued me. I'll have to watch it even. I think I think you'll have fun with that one. Uh, unlike this. Well, this movie, uh, even Carol's Get the Blues, is certainly like um, embracing that hippie mind- mindset and lifestyle, and like backing it. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the same with Inherent Vice. It's more you're more of a third party observing. <laughs> you know, observing that time period and some people that are involved in it, but I don't know that it's like putting it on a pedestal. Yeah, it's no, not glorifying. I would say the 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 main plot threads in that show that that uh, being too involved into the counterculture is going to lead you down some pretty dangerous alleyways. At, at yeah. least, and it's still under the guise of comedy. This one, you know, I. I think maybe uh, maybe it should just never have been intended to be a mainstream release. Like you know, maybe this is there's a movie with Billy Crudup called uh, Jesus Son that you know is just sort of about a drugged out layabout who gets into these sort of like short stories, if you will, like just as he ambles along in his life, and you have reoccurring characters. Uh, I wonder if this book was more like that, and they just like, damn it. I, I tell you what, these these exotic birds and this you know the gunfight with the cowgirls like you know we got to make the cowgirls have some gun. I, I I think I think this uh, hitchhiker movie just needed more hitchhiking. Really, it may not have been it, like that much better, but at the very least, I could understand how it just sort of ambles around to nonsense. It's like I told Jared before the we started recording. You know, if you told somebody like the stuff that's in this movie, what's about, they would probably be like, man, that sounds hilarious. That that sounds like the type right. of movie that would. Uh, you know, would be ironic to watch, you know, and, and get some laughs out of. But it's like it has those elements there that that could work and, and be that type of movie, but for, it just falls flat. I'm sorry, Jared, uh, what were you about to say? No, you're, you're I, I just I happened to read a couple of commentaries about it before uh, we got online tonight. And supposedly the book is a lot more abstract and not to be taken nearly as serious. But it's like they said. They literally took everything page by page, and people are actually warring over whooping cranes and assaulting people with stink vagina. And- oh my god. <laughs> It's not supposed to be taken that <laughs> that literally. You know, we've talked about like Watchmen and uh, many different uh, properties that have been adapted from things, and maybe this one takes the cake of really proving that like maybe some things aren't meant to be adapted. Like if it were if it worked as a book, so be it. But uh, I, I don't, I just don't know if this should have been a movie. Period or not. I, I'm you know, I would talk. say not like, I, <laughs> even if you're a fan of the book, it's sort of like, you know, three guys who had not seen this movie had heard of it. And, you know, I, I, all I knew was like, oh yeah, it's a big disaster, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, Ishtar with Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman or something. Mm, like, yeah. It's just one of those, like, I don't know what Ishtar's about. I'm just like, oh, that was just a big bomb. That's, uh, yeah. That's what it's known as. Yeah. I, I would say like, you know, younger generations may look at like Waterworld or something with Kevin Costner. As far as like, oh yeah, everyone hated that, right? And that, that's sort of their point of reference to it. Uh, but we did, we did actually. I think I can speak for when we all hated even cowgirls get the blues. <laughs> I say read uh, read Ebert's review. It's uh, it's pretty entertaining. If you just imagine a man <laughs> looking around, thinking, "What in the hell is going on here?" <laughs> that's essentially his whole review. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I uh, 
I want to take uh, Josh task. It's actually been, I think, a couple months since Jared said this uh, because I, I've been trying to throw my uh, instant letterbox reviews up there on uh, this, mainly just to keep myself in check, to be like, to look back and be like, you know, what did you immediately think as soon as, soon as the credits roll? Uh, so even cowgirls, uh, get the blue. Here's what I had to, I had to say about it. And, uh, I never thought I would or could be this disappointed in a movie with Uma Thurman wielding gigantic fucking thumbs. One star. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I gave it, gave it one instead I give of it, Well, I give it one just because there's at least stuff in there. I'm like, well, I'll never see that again. I'll never see this <laughs> in another movie. But the bone I have to pick, and Jared said this uh, in a private thread, was I was logging something. I go to the official at Sober Cinema account, and what do I see? I think <laughs> Jared, I paraphrase him, Josh, in control of that account, has only reviewed A Star is Born, <laughs> to what Jared could surmise mm. is <laughs> an extremely gay man who's just obsessed with Lady Gaga <laughs> and Bradley Cooper, and that's the only movie he needs in this whole world. <laughs> Because while you just how people view it, while you have (laughs) well, while you have said I've seen this like a great number of films, you've logged everything you've seen. The only thing on there is just a stars born to say. (laughs) It's just a stars born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Well, you know what? That's that's fair. I I can't. I mean, I mean, if if I came across that myself, that would that would certainly be no, no, no. Just think if Jared had gone there. Uh, And you look at the app, the only thing Jared reviewed was A Star is Born. It would be relentless. Uh (laughs) Let's say it's fair. But in actuality, you know, it was one of those things. It's like uh, you were urging, like, we needed to get that account going. I was like, okay. And that happened to be the first thing that I watched. And I did it. And uh, yeah, then I didn't do any follow up. My work here is done. That's just a you know a long uh, long joke there to get you to check out at Super Cinema and see if Josh if his second movie is even cowgirls get the blues from the stars part. Oh, 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 what a what a trend! Oh, uh, all right, I think that'll do it. Oh. You know, at Sober Cinema, at all the important places, in particular Letterboxd. <laughs> There have been many great drivers, but only one great passenger. When I'm really moving, stopping car after car after car, moving so freely, so clearly, so delicately that even the sex maniacs and the cops can only blink and let me pass. How exciting. We have fights constantly. Oh, you do, do you? Oh, and sometimes it bleeds over. Like we were driving that car, we went past a bunch of animals. There was a pig, a cow. And I, I admit this is a little cruel. You were kind of mad at her at the time. I was mad at her, so I said, hey, you see that pig, that cow, you know, horse? That remind you of any of your relatives? She says, yeah, my in-laws. I said, you dirty dog. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> wow. Dirty dog again. Wow. I tell you, until I met my wife, I always felt incomplete. Now I'm finished. <laughs>